0: Let's face it, nobody wants the cause or be on the receiving end of a safeguarding case, but it does happen. So what's the best way to deal with the situation? To find out how, I've just had a conversation with Jenny Wild, who's one of the safeguarding and regulatory experts from Ridout's Professional Services. My name is Simon Parker and I'm the founder of the Care Leaders Network which is the professional community for the leaders of care organisations. One of the best parts of my job is being able to host the Care Leaders Network podcast and here is our latest episode. Safeguarding Investigations, empowering care providers to take back control. So an operator has been asked to attend a safeguarding meeting with the local authority, what should they expect, what should they prepare for and what are the possible outcomes?
1: I think it can be a really daunting experience for any care provider to suddenly receive that call, summoning them to a meeting, um, especially when it's around an allegation of abuse. I think the starting point is to acknowledge the absolute vital importance of safeguarding. It's a cornerstone of of what everybody does, which is providing safe care to people. But I think what people have to understand is um, when they do go to a meeting like this, They can expect to be scrutinised and they can be, well, they can expect to be asked difficult questions. It's a fact finding discussion, but it should be approached with some caution. And I think that it's important for providers to establish at what stage the investigation is at before they actually attend a meeting. Um, The local authority will be kind of looking at the allegations and judging on the balance of probabilities whether or not it happened. and what the outcome is
0: and I guess like it's important that they do dig around and, and ask probing questions it's 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 so essential that they that they do do that to make sure that they're doing that job diligently now I guess being on the recipient end of that probably probably isn't going to be the most fun in the entire world but ultimately that is an important part of the process because they need to get objectively the the truth of the set of circumstances so that they can act act accordingly.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Simon. However, we encourage providers to make sure that local authorities are doing that in a fair and reasonable way and within a process that they're actually engaging a provider rather than just steamrolling and arriving at conclusions without gathering the appropriate evidence.
0: Sure, and I guess like um i i I'm guessing that probably does that d- does happen, so it's working out how to kind of balance that of course different different people different local authorities will take different uh, approaches in different sets of circumstances et cetera, et cetera so I guess you're never really gonna know exactly what that looks like until they knock on the door and they start asking those questions, and you'll learn from kind of the stance and the 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 position that they're that that they're taking as to how that might play out for you
1: right right exactly everybody's different there's a different policy in place for every local authority and the, the chair of the safeguarding board might be different um in their approach across the board so you really have to wait and see until you're in it until you know how to deal with it
0: of course that makes sense that makes sense talk to me about okay so what are the circumstances that might lead to a safeguard excuse me a safeguarding interaction with a with a local authority
1: It can be anything. Um, It can be an incident that takes place within the care service, um, a whistleblower from staff members. CQC inspections can actually lead to safeguarding referrals. So if they find something that they believe constitutes um, abuse or an allegation of abuse, CQC itself can refer to the local authority safeguarding team, Um, as well as complaints from people. And that can be third party people that come into work in the care setting or family members. Um, Just anybody really that has a concern can trigger this investigation.
0: Got you. And explain to me about section 42 investigations uh, and kind of exactly what that means in respect to, to local authorities.
1: We often get phone calls from clients really panicking, saying, oh my God, I'm being threatened with a section 42 investigation. And there's really a lot of misunderstanding about what that means. Now, the CARE Act 2014 came in and Section 42 kind of establishes this new responsibility. But I just think it's important to clarify what that is and who it applies to. So where a local authority has a reasonable cause to suspect that an adult is experiencing or at risk of experiencing abuse or neglect, that local authority is obliged to make um, whatever inquiries, feels necessary to make a decision about what action it should take and that allegation has to be current it can't be historical it has to be happening in the then and now so all it means if a provider is confronted with that statement from a local authority it means that the council is starting its own responsibility to make an investigation
0: and is there like a time scale around like what constitutes current, is there like a cut-off or is that something that's kind of um, left up to for interpretation?
1: It will be open to interpretation. I think that if it's a historical allegation of abuse, we would have to investigate how historical, um, is it still relevant? Is there a clear and present risk in the here and now, I think is, is the test that we would look at here. And if there wasn't a risk, we would actually challenge the local authority and say, well, hang on, what is it exactly that you're investigating? Because as per the legislation, there isn't an adult, you know, experiencing abuse or at risk of experiencing abuse. So what is this investigation under Section 42?
0: A quick note about one of the sponsors that makes the Care Leaders Network podcast possible. Compass Associates works in partnership with the care sector by supporting care providers with their recruitment and retention needs. They've won a number of industry awards over the years and specialise in placing mid to senior roles in the elderly care sector. Compass have offices in Portsmouth and Manchester, but deliver their services nationwide. And to find out more, head to www.compassltd.co.uk. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. And I guess kind of in a in a similar thread of um, ambiguity. I know that safeguarding meetings can be uh, somewhat ambiguous sometimes and a little bit um the, the details can be a little bit hard to, to come by. Yeah. How- can a, uh, can, how can a provider get prepared for those types of meetings um, to really get to make sure that they're they're actually really drilling down on the important stuff, like the root cause of the, of the situation?
1: Yeah, I think that it's really important to take it by the scruff of the neck. And when you do get contact about the meeting um, or even the investigation, we always encourage our clients and empower them to say, OK, well, can you tell me as much as possible about the allegation? When did it happen? Who does it involve? What are the circumstances? When did you get the notification? When was the complaint or referral? Because all too often we have clients who are contacted, and it turns out the local authority has been investigating this for three months without any prior knowledge of our client. And what we have to look at is well, actually, they've kind of been left to their own devices, the local authority looking into this without any, contrib- any contributions from our client. We could have provided information context documentary evidence to help the investigation that would bring it along and ultimately that's what people want it's to protect the service users within the service and to give people the families the staff the answers that they're looking for Um, we would say if you are contacted then you should immediately request an agenda if a meeting has been proposed We would recommend not attending a meeting without a proper agenda because, again, often we have clients just going into what appears to be a lion's den. I've been in in meetings with clients um, at safeguarding and there are 20 people around a circular table. and You don't know who anybody is. You and the client walk in and you don't even know why you're there apart from the fact that there's a safeguarding allegation. So it really can be going into something completely blind. And then you have to sit back and think, well, actually, if I'd have had notice of this, I could have prepared answers. I could have brought you documentary evidence. I could give you a really meaningful contribution to this meeting. But instead, you're sat there like a school child being chastised and questioned. And lots of times the answer has to be, I I don't know, because you just told me about this five minutes ago if I'd have known I could have prepared something. So really, it's to get as much information as you can before you properly engage in order to make the investigation as meaningful as possible. We would always recommend, um, if you are going to a meeting, taking a note taker. Providers will have all faced the ultimate frustration, which is going to a safeguarding meeting, leaving, and then generally two months later, you might get the minutes back Firstly, there are huge delays in getting minutes back. And secondly, when the minutes do arrive, I would say 80% of the time they don't accurately reflect everything that was spoken about or things are left out. So we would encourage clients to always take their own note taker, whose job is simply to take minutes, um, not to speak or participate and just really get a clear record of what is being discussed. So we would encourage that as well. we would just try and encourage providers to get to the heart of the matter as quickly as possible and to, as I said, facilitate a meaning discu- meaningful discussion by preparing documents if a local authority is helpful enough to say this is what it's about, this is who it concerns. But we should say to providers as a word of warning, if this safeguarding allegation is also being investigated by the police, then they are obviously prohibited from doing their own investigation at that stage.
0: Got you, got you. I understand. I can imagine, like being in those sets of circumstances. I've, I've, I've been in, a, uh, in my consultancy world uh, back in the day. Like I've been in various yeah. different uh, meetings with both local authorities and the CQC and various different um, other organisations and things. And they can be very intense. They can be very, very intimidating. Um, right. I've been in some that have been quite structured, and I've been in some that have been not so structured. I can imagine you, your point around kind of get, just getting to the. Getting to the brunt of it, and also Mm -hmm. kind of almost like clear action points. Okay, so if we were to do things as a result of today, what are the top things that we need to be able to do Mm -hmm. to gain some consensus from people to say, right? Okay, so if there has been a set of circumstances where we haven't upheld the standards that we would uh, we would expect, that's obviously something that we need to make sure that we're all over, that we investigate, that we get to the to the nub of the problem from our side Mm -hmm. of things. But also, as well, just to be clear from an action step perspective, so that they know that you're taking it seriously, as mm-hmm. uh, well, that's got to be a key part of the of the conversation as uh, as well. So, um, does it? How often? Again, I've been in, been in sets of circumstances. If my memory serves me correctly; it's a long time ago now. Um, but where it's been local authority and CQC all in the room at the at the same time. I guess if that isn't the case, what wh- what are the likely implications of having a local authority safeguarding type? Um, type meeting when it comes to interact, future interactions with the with the CQC?
1: Yeah, I mean, they are always interrelated, as you know, Simon, and I think that it can actually trigger an inspection if the, if the issue hasn't been raised by CQC itself. So as soon as CQC get wind of something like that, they can think, okay, well, maybe we should go in and, and investigate around this particular point So if if, for example, it's about a service user who's fallen multiple times or has been found fallen, um, they might come in and look at that type of documentation and risk assessments. It can really guide what the CQC are interested in. And I think that's an important point as well in terms of the nature of inspections now as well. Um, Previously CQC have come into services looking for good and we're all aware now that that isn't happening anymore. There's a new risk-based inspection regime And this is exactly the type of risk that they are thinking of in terms of that regime. This is the type of thing that would trigger a CQC inspection. And the adverse impact of that is that CQC are coming in with a natural negative attitude because the thing that has prompted this is something quite bad, um, depending on what the circumstances are. So they will just simply be looking for information to either corroborate that negative safeguarding point or um, anything similar around it and it just changes the attitude of CQC more generally. Um, they're not going to come in inspector service if they've had a fantastic um, piece of feedback about someone's 100th birthday party which is a shame. It's, it's going to be something negative so I think that people engaging in the inspection process have to be mindful of that and during the inspection they should also be filtering through more positive information to counter the negative that has prompted this particular review Um, but yeah there can be problems arising out of that from CQC's perspective and it can really be a can of worms if they're going in with a, a bit of a concern more generally
0: i'd like to take a moment just to let you know about one of the sponsors of the care leaders network podcast howden group is the second largest insurance broker in the uk and they pride themselves on being specialists within the care sector their aim is to help care leaders build remarkable care organizations by providing them with a unique experience and also the best possible deal to learn more about their tailored insurance solutions head to howdengroup.com yeah no absolutely um obviously the ideal set of circumstances is that you don't end up in a scenario where you're uh, experiencing, uh, you're on the on, on the receiving end of a, of a safeguarding set of circumstances. Um, when, if it does happen, what are the kind of the key, almost tips that you could give to to help manage the risks attributed to, to, to some type of safeguarding interaction?
1: I think that the starting point I would say there, Simon, is to try and avoid those types of referrals altogether, if that's possible. And some key ways that you can do that is by, having an open culture of sharing concerns within the survey. So encouraging staff feedback, um, opened our policy, feedback um, encouraged from service users and their families so that you are kind of negating the need for people to kind of refer outwards. And so that most things can be referred internally. I think that if everybody is clear on whistleblowing policies, that can only be a positive thing. And also regular training and audits to make sure that people are doing their jobs correctly, that would probably lead to less safeguarding referrals in the first instance. But if you are in the process, I think that the best thing we can advise is to be, to be very strong and feel empowered. Don't be afraid to engage legal advice if you feel overwhelmed or, or that you aren't getting a clear set of answers from the investigating authority. You are actually entitled to take representation in with you to a safeguarding meeting. And remember that these allegations can sometimes dovetail in with criminal investigations. So we would always encourage people to be represented. And um, there are implications to not managing this process properly. And that can be, if for example, a staff member has had to be suspended as a part of the investigation and the investigation is taking eight months because nobody's kind of controlling it. Lots of, services um, pay people on full pay while they're suspended so that's a financial outlay if there are safeguarding concerns there can be contractual implications with your commissioning authority who might think well we're going to place an embargo on you now because we're worried about safeguarding and that can last a period of the investigation so again you really want to be doing this as effectively and as efficiently as possible Um, and I just would say that clarity and communication establishing one person to communicate with identifying what you think would be a helpful document and also considering um putting out a position statement to an investigating body um, at the earliest opportunity so that there can't be any questions around what your position is and what your understanding is of the incident
0: sage advice as ever (laughs) Jen. the time really appreciate it it's uh it's uh it's always good to uh to have these conversations with you and i'm, I'm looking forward to our next piece of content
1: me too simon thank you